Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. We are fortunate enough today to have with us Carter Cast. Carter wrote most recently the book, The Right and Wrong Stuff, How uh, Brilliant Careers Are Made and Unmade. Uh, Carter is friends of a number of friends of mine, and, and they all spoke super highly of him, so I'm very excited, uh, Carter, to have you on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. He is the clinical professor at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, and he's a venture partner at Pritzker Group Venture Capital. So he is both a professor of entrepreneurship and an academic and also a practitioner uh, and investor. And that um, is a great combination because we'll be talking with Carter both about the, the, the theoretical and the ideas and how he's formed them, but also how you implement them and, and how they really play out in real life, which is, as you all know, something I care deeply about. Carter, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you very much. So, Carter, anytime any of us writes a book, we're you know we're we're dropping years of of care <laughs> in and and focus into the topic, and it's an interesting topic for you to have chosen. You're you you uh, approach business both from the human side and also you're you're at all levels. You've been a general manager. We talked about you've. You've, you know, you work in venture capital to helping them to scope out deals and support deals. Why this? Why focus on on the sort of right and wrong stuff uh, related to careers? What what motivated you to write this book and drew you to it? Well, you know how they say, write what you know. <laughs> I I had uh, I, I had a nice flirtation with direct career derail, derailment in my 30s that uh, kind of flatlined my career for several years. And, um, the, you know, the, the experience stayed with me and I realized that even if you're, you've built a set of skills and, uh, you're motivated, um, that, you know, a, a blind spot or an area of vulnerability that you don't have a good handle on can sort of sweep you at the knees. So I think the experience just was embarrassing and stayed with me. And now I'm a teacher and, uh, I work with entrepreneurs, but I also teach at Northwestern at Kellogg. And so I probably deal, you know, I probably talk to 15 or 20 um, millennials, uh, you know, a week, and I've done it for seven years. And I'll ask, they'll come to me asking about, you know, what should I do with my career? Should I go into, should I go to McKinsey or should I go to the Series A startup? And, you know, you're trying to unpack the question. And so you say, you know, what are you good at? What do you love doing? When do you raise your hand? Um, uh, uh, Where do you see yourself in five years? And then I'll ask this question every time. Uh, invariably, it gets them stumped. I'll say, what about you could hurt you? And I have gotten so rarely a good answer that I became convinced that the strengths movement was so stressed that people weren't looking at the flip side, which is, you know, a lot of times a, a strength has a, a, an overdeveloped strength has a weakness, the flip side of a coin. Always. And I felt, and I, and I, and I felt like the topic I hadn't read a lot about it, and so I did research, and I realized that there's a tremendous amount of derailment literature from CCL and from uh, Hogan and and from Corn Ferry, and, and uh, there's just so many sources uh, and a lot of academic research studies. And then on top of that, I interviewed people who had gotten fired or demoted myself and talked to executive coaches and 
and then realized, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot about this topic that hasn't been, that hasn't been brought up to the layman. And so I wanted to, uh, sort of write about a, a sensitive topic. It's interesting. And is that, is that question that you ask, you know, what might derail you in a sense different than the question that you often hear in interviews which is, you know, tell me your greatest weakness kind of thing. Is there, is there a slight change? Is, is there something slightly different about the way you're asking the question? Oh, I think so, because I can tell you a weakness, but that I, that I understand and I've cr created some compensatory strategies for. Um, I can tell you about areas of vulnerability that I have under control now that I'm older and have gotten punched in the face a few times. Um, but this topic of uh, what you don't know can hurt you so much. And I, I experienced it firsthand with a, uh, a sort of an oppositional defiance disorder with authority figures that I did not have under control and it hurt my career. So I, I, I love what you're saying about this and it brings me down to the, uh, you know, a critical question I had as I was reading this and I want to go through, you, you list in the book very beautifully five uh, sort of core derailers, five sort of typical derailers. Um, but you just mentioned this issue of blind spot. And, and I, um, you know, as a coach myself, I find myself struggling with this often, which is blind spots run deep and they exist to protect fragile egos. And, and people, uh, there's a tremendous amount of armor and defense against seeing your own derailleur. There's a lot of people who are very successful but have ultimately fatal derailers, right, which at some point will get them. And they could be, you know, like, let's put aside the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, right? Where, yeah. but, but that's also very well, you know, maybe manipulative, maybe a blind spot. I don't know. And let's, you know, I, I don't know that it's useful to talk about that. But or the president people, or the president. <laughs> but but there are so many people who are who are relatively uh, functional, but create incredible toxicity in in organizations, leaders and who don't see it. And when told about it, will assign blame everywhere but themselves. And maybe they'll take some of it, but they'll put so much on other people that it protects them. And my question to you is. How do you, you know, in all of your experience, what have you seen helps to pierce the armor of the yeah. blind spot that allows someone is safely enough to be able to look and own their own sort of counterproductive behavior? That's a really tough question. Um, you know, Mike Tyson, the great Mike Tyson, the philosopher Mike Tyson, <laughs> the Tyson said, you have a, it's good to have a strategy and until you get punched in the face right. and then and all he of a had sudden, his own, like, you know, pretty obviously self-destructive tendencies, right, left right. Him, you know, as far as I know, kind of broke and, and done, so, but, but, but yeah, like the strategies, you have great strategies until you get punched in the face. And I think when you get punched in the face, you finally, uh, often you recognize that something that you, uh, weren't aware of, or that you were aware of in a minor way, could be a lot more damaging to you than you thought. So sometimes it takes a two by four to the side of the head or 360 feedback from plenty of peers, your subordinates and, and your superior that is so consistently bad or tough around the area of vulnerability that you finally have to wrestle with one of your demons or one of your areas of vulnerability. 
So, um, so let me actually, let me just uh, uh, go into that a little deeper because I think it's really interesting. So in a sense, if I f if someone fails, but not enough to totally knock them off their feet, then they can continue in the blind spot delusion, but it requires a a really aggressive hit, meaning it requires uh, uh, the confrontation of of true failure for them to be able to look. They have to hit whatever rock bottom is to them for them to say, I've got to change something. If they, you know, if their ego is, fra ego is fragile enough that yeah. the armor is strong. Well, you know, l let's categorize these derailment propensities. One, some are skill gaps, which you can fix if you're committed. Um, some are, you're in the wrong context you're in the wrong, your motive structure doesn't fit your jobs. You're, um, you're in an early stage company, but you require structure. You desire structure and you should be in a later stage company. You're in a late stage, you're in a, um, a matrixed organization and you desire autonomy. You know, so there's some, sometimes you're in the wrong context. You can fix that if you're, if you work on becoming more self-aware and understanding your motives. So let's if go through, a, actually, but, let's, but, I'm, I'm realizing you're going into them. So let's do that. I think that's a great thing. Okay. Let's go through each of your five. Let's start with oh, Captain oh. Fantastic. That's the tough one because what you're getting at is uh, interpersonal issues that are often deep around personality components that we've gotten grooved over the years. And, um, you know, my, my dad had an oppositional defiance disorder to authority. My grandfather did. Um, my sister does. And so for me to work on this, it, it's gene, it's, this is genetic. And how would you so, describe it? The Captain Fantastic, describe it in a sentence so that, so that so, listeners Captain Fantastic has a problem with ego management. Uh, doesn't listen, um, doesn't enlist other people, uh, and uh, is often um, self-serving, uh, I, me, mine, and bruises people on his quest for the holy grail of the corner office. And he does, he does fine because he's self-promoting until uh, he misses a quarter, he misses a year in the business plan, and nobody's there that wants to support him. And this person will tend to look at failures and assign them to the people around him versus take responsibility and say, I did something that caused this. That's, it's, it's, that's right. And what's funny is Captain Fantastic happens uh, in my research. I saw it much more in later in the career. You get a certain amount of success and you stop, you start thinking you have the answers and you stop listening and you're, and you're, and you get, you get too far removed from the frontline workers to, they have the answers because they're closest to the customers. Right. It's kind of interesting because you can look at it one side and you go success, uh, confirms their self-perception. And on the other hand, um, you can look at it and say, you know, maybe they are smarter. Like, you know, if they've been successful time and time again, like, like I'm, I'm curious about the, the point at which they might be right or they might just be an ego. Can you talk to that a little bit? Well, I have been in, uh, you know, I worked for PepsiCo 11 years. I worked for Walmart seven years. I've, I've been in these big companies and PepsiCo was a culture that almost embraced these Captain Fantastic characteristics. It was sort of, uh, pep they said Pepsi pretty, 
and big blue and we dressed in suits and you know ties and start shirts and they they love to see these young Turks go flying up the organization that were aggressive and had sharp elbows they did very well until they got into tremendously complex jobs which required um, cross-functional savvy great teamwork and shutting up and listening to people who understood more about engineering or sourcing or, you know, a so big data succeeded, set. They really succeeded in the context of being an individual contributor within a silo. But once they rose high enough that it required kind of managing a matrix or within the network or, you know, kind of cross silo, they fell down. That's right. When it's cross silo and there's shared accountability, and you don't have all the resources sitting under you that you can, you know, demand, uh, you know, attention to, that's when they run into trouble. Got it. How do we help these Captain Fantastics? Well, this is the one that I think is the toughest because some of the other ones I can go into, they're, they're more about skill gaps or lack of access. Um, but Captain Fantastic is, is about you and the way you see the world and uh, personality characteristics. And you know Robert Hogan. The Hogan looks at eleven um, dysfunctional, dark, you know, kind of Jungian, dark side tendencies. And Captain Fantastic, I just took the biggest one, which is someone that is excitable and bombastic and volatile. But there's other pieces of the Captain Fantastic characteristic. You know, you could be um, aloof, reserved, skeptic, uh, you know, highly skeptical. Um, either way, you're moving yourself away from other people, not towards other people. And is the only solution to that one then epic failure? Um, it's strong. I, I, in my experience and in, in reading what I read, you know, S Sidney Finkelstein has some great stuff. Uh, just, you know, there's, a, there's so many, Robert Caro, Dave Dotlich, there, there is a strong cup of coffee is often required. Right. Got it. In some form. Okay, the solo flyer, that's the second derailment. That happens early in the career. That's your strong individual contributor that gets promoted because they um, kick ass and take names. They're great at doing at, at, at executing, um, but they get promoted into their first managerial job and they keep trying to do it themselves. They don't go from me to we. Uh, Linda Hill of Harvard said that becoming a manager is literally a transformation of identity. I love that phrase she uses. And they don't realize that their satisfaction has to come from enabling instead of doing. And yeah, that that this is something very fixable. Um, you just have to learn that there's a mindset shift and you have to coach and enable and not do. And that's that's tough for people that are really good at doing. It sounds like some of the source code for the solo flyer might be found in Captain Fantastic. <laughs> That's interesting. That's a good correlation I should look into. Um, it, it, that could very well be the case. I think a lot of times it's just a matter of, of learning, learning to trust and learning to so trust but verify, as Reagan said. But, but this is a fixable one, and I saw this a lot early career. And but the, best you, you way to help, the best way to help someone fix it? The best way to help someone fix this is to get them to learn to trust their teams. So they, the more you get to know people, generally, the more we trust each other as humans. So by spending more time with their team, with your her team, and asking, you know, what are your goals? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? How can I help you reach them? 
um, you, you'll start having this sort of reciprocity between the, the subordinate, and the superior that will lead to trust and the superior, the coach will start letting go and letting the person run more. So I think it's about it's about getting to know your, 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 your team better and more deeply so you begin to trust them. So here's a possible way to diagnose yourself as to whether you're more Captain Fantastic or Solo Flyer, which is if you find yourself resistant to doing what you've just said, which is asking and listening and caring what the people around you say, then probably you're more Captain Fantastic. And if you look at that solution and go, oh, that would be very useful to listen and to ask questions and to understand their perspective and to possibly mediate what I'm doing with the knowledge that I've gained from their insights, that might make you a little bit more of a repairable solo flyer. Am I thinking that, about this correctly? Yeah, I think that's, that's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> awesome. Um, version 1.0, that's a third derailleur. Often happens mid-career. You're you're um, you get in a groove and the groove turns into a rut. You, know, you get complacent and you stop having that sort of learner's mindset, uh, the discovery skills, you know, experimenting, observing, questioning, um, uh, networking. You stop doing those things that create, uh, you know, that, 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 that sharpen your saw and you, 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 if I asked you about artificial intelligence as it relates to voice recognition, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Or if I asked you about big data sets and IOT machine learning, you'd say, I don't understand that. So, you know, in this day and age, we have to stay hungry for knowledge and information. Got it. And are those people usually self-aware or they don't realize they've been stuck in a rut? And so the remediation here uh, really lends itself to increasing awareness that there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't know that you might need to. That's absolutely right. I think this is increasing awareness because they've gotten in sort of a, uh, you know, sort of a groove or in a silo and they need to be broadened. And then, then they'll realize, boy, I got to get out there. I got to, I got to tour with uh, the sales folks. I got to talk to suppliers. I need to do a competitive audit. I need to go out and do some primary research on our customers. They have to sort of get out get out of their office and into the market more. There's a second side of this version 1.0, which is people that are basically recalcitrant and inflexible by nature that aren't adaptable to changing circumstances, getting a new boss, right. a new technology is used in your company. Uh, you go from a, a functional organization to a matrix structure and they fight it. So there are some rigor, there are some personality characteristics that can hurt people just around not being flexible and open-minded here. On and this, on this. how do you, how do you, um, how do you imbue the inflexible with some flexibility? Well, yeah, I, one of the, one of the things you can do is ask, I, I ask people, um, before you speak, just ask a lot of questions, go into meetings and Curious. try to reserve judgment and spend, there's this great stat by Clayton Christensen. He said that in his research, innovators have a ratio of six to one on questions asked to statements made. So possibly the most important skill that we can teach the, the version 1.0 is, and actually it sounds like also the solo flyer, maybe all of these, is curiosity, right? Is that sure. if we can help people to be naturally more curious, they're going to maybe get out of their ways a little more. 
which is why I've taken Carol Dweck to dinner three different yeah. occasions. She's a lovely, lovely person, isn't she? L- lovely person. And the growth mindset, I mean, is it's what critical. we're talking about right. here, right? We're talking about not having a fixed mindset where there's a zero sum situation. Right. If you fail, you, you don't see it as a failure. You see it as an experiment that you learned from. Right, right. Now, uh, distinguish for us version 1.0 from your next derailleur, the fourth one, the one-trick pony, because it seems like there's a relationship between those two. The one-trick pony has gone up the ladder in a vertical way, and they haven't broadened their skill set, so they hit a ceiling in terms of their promotability. So they're too narrow, and they're viewed as non-strategic. This was the number one derailleur of women. Number one derailleur. Yeah. It was, um, and I think I ask, I, when I give a presentation, I'll say, do you, you know, to the audience, well, do you just think women are less strategic than men from a genetic standpoint? And people will grimace at me and I'll say, well, of course not. This is a problem of access, having access to, um, to different jobs, to different mentors, to different counselors, you know, broadening your, broadening your perspective by being rotated into different assignments. So the problem here is like you might you might have a controller that wants to become a CFO, but the controller has never had any visibility into capital asset management or uh, forecasting tools or, you know, whatever. And they you know, I would say five to eight years into your career, you might be a functional expert at that point, you know, the old 10,000 hours, five to eight years. And it's time to start looking for sort of step out opportunities. This also brings me to the importance of leadership around the, people's careers and, and the role of the organization. And I can see where the role of the organization for you know, Captain Fantastic might be to ensure for his own good a degree of failure, meaning to, to create the boundaries that don't allow this person to be so successful uh, with, with that behavior so that the natural consequence isn't so catastrophic for the organization, but taught early on. And it seems like I think that's a great, I think that's a great point. And I I think that would be little tests like that, that challenge captain fantastic self-conception and offer him learning experiences through failures, through little failures. (laughs) And it seems like the opposite approach would be useful for the one trick pony to basically create support mechanisms and mentorship and opportunities to to broaden their scope and awareness so that they can become more strategic. And maybe that's true for version 1.0 as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely true with the one trick pony. Um, you know, you always get asked as a follow on question to this one is, well, how do how do I get mentors? And I'll say, you don't just want one mentor. You want a bunch of counselors. You want a mosaic of mentors. You know, you want you know, maybe Carter for demand generation in a digital world. And you want Peter for, you know, for leadership and you want, you know, somebody else for supply chain, but pick these pieces of people that are where they have areas of expertise and, and, and leverage them instead of kind of hanging all, hanging it all on one mentor. It's to, a great, to great point. And certainly don't go to me for supply chain management. <laughs> um, so let's do this last one, the whirling dervish. Yeah, this is an easy one. And actually in the assessment tool I created where you can, I worked on it, I developed it with the CCL. You can take this test and see which of these five propensities you might have. This was the most highest self-reported one. 
No I've had thou thousands of surveys in my on my website. Right. For this one. This is number one. And this is the whirling dervis, which is doesn't deliver on promises because they're overextended, can't say no, poorly organized, don't prioritize. And as a result, balls drop and people start distancing themselves from this person because their word isn't their bond. And they're, and and what you're saying is that most people are self-aware of that derailer versus the ones who fall into the categories of the other derailers. Yes, or they don't. Some of them they just pain, don't want to painfully look at. So right. I, it's you know I, it's easy to say, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so wanted that I have a little bit of the whirling dervish in me because so many people desire my time. Versus right. versus um, I'm non-strategic. I'm non-strategic. Right. So I, f I feel good. If I'm a whirling dervish, it means I'm that important. And that, in fact, <laughs> I can imagine a Captain Fantastic might be correlated with a whirling dervish, too, to just say, ah, you know, I'm so in demand because I'm so great that, you know, I really I really have to get my anytime management. Yeah. I, uh, no one says they're non-strategic. I do this. I do a workshop on this at Kellogg and I have students sit at tables after they take the assessment. And the table is what their archetype is. And the table, will, I'll have three tables of whirling dervishes. And I'll have two people that are self-reported um, uh, one-trick ponies. That's no interesting. One says, no, one, no one likes to say it. And so, and and I guess my question is, when, if, if you look at the, you know, assuming people read the book, which I think you should, it's a great book, and you self-identify as a whirling dervish, would you recommend that if that's your instinct, that you look a little deeper because there's a potential that you might be missing one of the other four derailers and cloaking that derailment factor in whirling dervish overwhelm? Uh, yes. And I would, I would go so far as to boldly say that every single one of us has interpersonal issues that are driven by some of our natural insecurities. And Robert Hogan, if you take the Hogan, he has 11 of these attributes, right, in his uh, Hogan psychology uh, um, development survey. And everyone has at least one of these areas that flares. I had two. And so I would argue no matter who you are, you're going to have some dark side tendencies that hurt you interpersonally if you aren't aware of them and you don't self-monitor to them. That's interesting. And, you know, that might also be a way of helping the Captain Fantastic see, become more self-aware, which is they, they might have a likelihood of not admitting to any uh, real gap or derailment factor. And, that would be interesting. And that would be interesting to say, well, okay, so everybody has them. And Except if you, you don't know what yours are, then, you know, chances are you're this one. <laughs> like that's, you know, that could be kind of interesting too. Um, Carter, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. Really, really interesting. I, I think I have elements of all five of these, as do probably a lot of people. And, yeah. uh, and I can see where just seeing the, you know, without even labeling myself, just seeing the the opportunities for growth in each of them is a very useful way to look at this too which is to say I, i'm uh, you know where can i get better at being less captain fantastic or less version 1.0 or less of a solo flyer and i think for most of us the answer would be yes to all of these things and i'm so glad you said that because this is not an indictment 
Right. I mean, we're all we're all human. We've all got these bumpy, jagged little areas that actually make us interesting. So yeah, I, I love what you said to see these as, you know, ways to get even better versus these aren't indictments on your personality or, or you know, it's just I like the way you said that because that's what I believe. I believe that, too. Carter, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Peter. Great questions. I really enjoyed myself. If you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Bregman Leadership Intensive, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you to Claire Marshall for producing this episode and to Brian Wood, who created our music. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation.